The reading today is very short. It's um, continuing from James chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, and it's 1215, page 1215 in the Church Bibles. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep that passage open in front of you. So page uh, 1215, and let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that it teaches us and corrects us. It challenges us. And so we pray, please, now, as we come to your word, we would do so humbly, ready to listen to you and ready to be changed by you and to go out and live out what we read. Amen. So the book of James, in the book of James so far, we have seen that James has addressed addressed churches and Christians who are uh, saying that they're Christians, people who live for Jesus, and yet uh, they are also living and speaking in ways which are very much like the world around them. James has accused them of being double-minded living for Jesus, but also living just like the world. And today he addresses something which, uh, an attitude, a, a way of thinking, a way of living, which is a worldly way of living and thinking, but it is so common in our culture that I would think we might struggle to spot what's wrong with it. Have a look at verse 1. He outlines this uh, way of thinking. It's not verse 1 at all, is it verse 13? He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you read that and you think, well, what's wrong with that? We hear that kind of language all the time, don't we? Here is a first century businessman. You can imagine them arriving on first century equivalent of Dragon's Den or The Apprentice. Uh, And there is absolute confidence, definite plan. They know when they're going to do it. They know what they're going to do. They know what place they're going to do it. They know how long they're going to be there. They're going to be there for a year. And they know the outcome. They say, well, we'll go to this place, that place. We'll spend uh, a year there. We'll do business and we will make money. It is exactly the attitude that is prized today, isn't it? A kind of exciting, ambitious attitude. 
And we've seen the type, I'm sure you've seen the type on TV, maybe you know the kind of person who says, you know, they're determined, I'm going to be a millionaire by 30, retire by 40, and then what are you going to do? I don't know. But that's their kind of life goal. That's what they're going to do. Maybe you know that kind of person. Maybe you've been that kind of person. And yet it isn't only in business that this attitude prevails. We do it in all sorts of contexts. Uh, To have the attitude that I will follow my dreams, I will make them happen. It's the kind of attitude you get at the end of the poem Invictus. You know, at the end of the poem there are those two famous lines, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. I'm in control. Alec Matir, in his book on James, summarizes this kind of attitude like this. We speak to ourselves as if, we were, as if life were our right, as if our choice were the only deciding factor, and as if we had in ourselves all that we needed to make a success of things. As if getting on, making money, and doing well were life's sole objectives. That's a great summary of the attitude. Uh, As if choice was the only deciding factor, uh, and as if I've got in myself everything I need to make a success. And so we have our life plans. Maybe you have them, or have had them. Not just in business, but family life. Married by 25, three children by 35, grandchildren by 55, maybe that was your plan. Or where you live. And we instill in our children exactly this attitude. That choice is the only thing that determines what's going on. They can do whatever they want, they can be whatever they want. Summed up in the song which I know has been sung at primary school, year six, Leavers Assemblies. Forgive me if I've mentioned this before, but it's so striking. Let me read the lines for it. This is what some year six Leavers Assemblies have. I would imagine other schools have it at other times of the, uh, of the year as well. Here is how it goes When the skies are dark and grey, we still know the sun is shining. Though it's out of sight, its light is glowing still. And as long as I believe there is nothing I can't wish for, not a dream that I'm unable to fulfill, and whatever it takes, I'll find it somehow. Whatever it needs, I'll show I'm strong. Whatever it takes, I'll make it happen, finding out where I belong. When I look up to the stars, there's a burning deep inside me, and I feel a power growing in my soul. They're ten years old. I can do anything at all. Here's the chorus. I can do anything at all. I can climb the highest mountain. I can feel the ocean calling wild and free. They're in Surbiton. (laughs) I can feel the ocean calling wild and free. I can be anything I want with this hope to drive me onwards. If I can just believe in me. If I can just believe in me. And parents are in tears as their children sing that last line and they say, yes, just believe in yourself. You can do anything. The irony being that none of the parents are living examples of this. Many of them, I doubt, dreamed in year six that they would be 
working in the city or working in IT. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just think it's probably not the dreams of a 10 or 11-year-old. Now, so we instill in our children this attitude that you can be whatever you want to be. You just grab it. Go out and get it. And James says of this attitude, verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Now, we need to remember he's addressing a church. He's addressing Christians, those who call themselves Christians. Yet their attitude is the same as the world around them. And that can be our danger too, can't it? That we have the attitude of, I'm the master of my fate as well. Oh, we're in here on a Sunday morning, singing about God's greatness, his sovereignty. And yet, as we go out, as we go into the week, we can have exactly the same attitude, can't we? So what do we need to correct? What does James teach us? Well, James is not instructing Christians not to plan. Now, don't make that mistake. If we do that, then, well, we'll never do anything big in our lives or in church life. And there are clearly examples in the Bible of people who do plan, and it's a good thing that they do. Now, planning for the future is not wrong, nor is making business or making money, actually. James and the Bible do say a lot about the dangers of greed, dangers of living to serve money. And we'll see more about that next week, actually. But making money is not in and of itself wrong. Those are the things he's not correcting as such. So what is he correcting? Well, he gives us three truths and then a surprising application. Three truths and a surprising application. First truth is this. And you can find it on the back of your sheet. First truth is this. You do not know. Verse 14. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. It's part of being a creature, part of being made by God, that we are finite. And part of that finiteness is that there are things that we don't know. You do not even know, he says, what's going to happen tomorrow. We may have these grand plans, grand designs for our life. But the reality is you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Do you remember we used to do, those who are uh, longer term members of the church family, we used to do, it was a good thing to do, maybe we should do it again. Um, sometimes we'd get someone up and we'd do a this time tomorrow slot. Because it was good to hear what members of the church family are doing this time tomorrow. In other words, what do they do on the Monday to Saturday when they're not here? What's their normal day-to-day life? What's, and what are their opportunities and challenges as a Christian in that context? And it's a good thing to do. But the reality is, actually, every time you had someone up and you said, what will you be doing this time tomorrow? They should really have said, well, I don't really know. Which would have killed the slot, really, wouldn't it? But that's the reality, that actually this time tomorrow, we don't know what we're going to be doing. Ah, you say, well, I've got my diary, I've got this appointment, that appointment, the other appointment. And that is true, you've got that in that, but that's not definite, is it? Something might happen. You might be ill. You might be in bed tomorrow. Your transport might not work. You might be stuck in a lay-by somewhere. You don't know. And young people, you might think, well, this time tomorrow I'll I'll be in bed. But you might be. You might not be. You might go, yeah, I'll be in bed. I won't be ill, but I'll be in bed. Well, maybe. You don't actually know what's going to happen tomorrow, do you? 
And that isn't our fault, it's just the way we've been made. But it does cause us to pause, doesn't it, when we think life's goals, life plans, to go, actually, we don't know. And it's okay to admit that. It's part of being a creature made by God with limitations. That's the first truth. You don't know. Second truth. You are a mist. You're a mist. Verse 14, second half of verse 14 says, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, again, pretty clear, isn't it? What he's saying there, I'm sure you've seen sometimes early morning the mist that there is. Uh, Not this time of year, but at other times of the year. You see the mist and it's burned off by mid-morning, hasn't it? Mist can seem more substantial than it is even. Sometimes you might have, maybe not around here, but somewhere out in the countryside, you look out and you see a mist, a low-lying mist, and maybe you look down on it. And it looks more substantial than it is, doesn't it? And you might think, well, it's fun looking down on it. I wonder what it would be like to be in amongst it, actually looking around from in it. It would be like being in a cloud. And you get down there and you get in amongst it and you actually find uh, it, it feels like there's nothing there. You look around and it's kind of, it looked good from the side, looked good from above, but actually when you're in amongst it, it's so thin, there's so nothing to it, that actually as you look around in amongst it, you go, there's nothing there. And sure enough, not long after, the whole mist has completely disappeared, so quick. And the, the application is clear, isn't it? James is saying, so is your life. We come and we go. We're not as substantial as we like to think that we are. Now, we like to think that we're solid, that we're immovable. And James is saying, take a reality check. Now, our culture likes to brush that to one side. We deal with death by by moving on. Pretending that we can ignore it. And uh, it happens uh, even in news headlines, doesn't it? used to be news headlines lasted a day because newspaper lasted a day. But now with news headlines being on your phone, on, on apps, they change very quickly. Even this last week, I, there was uh, headlines about the sad news of the deaths of a couple of pilots trying to tackle the fires in Greece. And within just a few hours, the headline had gone. Something else replaced it. We kind of brush it aside. And then a couple of days later, the death of Sinead O'Connor at 56. And that will move on quickly, won't it? There'll be something else that comes along to take that headline spot. And James says, just pause. Recognize how frail we actually are. Don't move on so quickly. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It is wise to confront us. Now, if you learn these first two truths, I I, I think you end up just being thoroughly depressed, don't you? And I I recognise we've got younger ears in the room as well, and I, I don't want them to leave thoroughly depressed either. But it could be that you just feel thoroughly depressed from that, don't you? You go, well, not only is uh, do we not know, but also we are a mist. Thank you, Bart. I'll go home and have my lunch. Or, you know, that was uplifting. And that's where we need the third truth, don't we? We need the third truth. Third. You are dependent on the Lord. And that is a wonderful truth. James tells them what they should say. 
He says, uh, verse 15, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, James is not saying that you have to start everything that you say with these words. It's not like a formula that you've got to then start each saying with, or every time you plan, you have to put these exact words in. No, it's not like for the notices, we should have said, well, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will go through and have coffee after the service. It's not that you've got to say that every time and we don't have to correct one another every time, but it is more the attitude that we should have. Although, actually, it probably wouldn't hurt us to include this kind of thing a bit more in our conversation, would it? To say, actually if it's the Lord's will but notice it's striking and this is what struck me when I first read this in preparation is that he doesn't just say um, you should say if it is the Lord's will we will do this or that he doesn't just say that does he no he says if it's the Lord's will we will live that's how dependent we are on the Lord we are alive today because it is God's will. Now, we do not have a right to a certain number of years of life. It's not ultimately determined by lifestyle or genetics, though in the Lord's purposes those things aren't irrelevant. Every day is a gift from the Lord. To steal the line from Kung Fu Panda, today is a gift, that's why it's called... The present. Thank you very much to those who knew their Kung Fu Panda. We depend on the Lord for every breath. Every day is a gift. It is from him. And that changes the way we think about life. We may be a mist that comes and goes, and that truth might scare us, but it it is also the case, and this is the wonderful comfort, that our, our lives are in the Lord's hands. We will not live one day less than he planned. Nor one day more. And it says also, not just our lives, whether we live or not, is in his hands, but if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. Every plan, every purpose, excuse me, every purpose is entirely dependent on the Lord's will. Which doesn't mean we don't work hard. I mean, that could breed a kind of passive laziness, and the Bible says that's not good. No, we don't become passive. But we recognize the outcomes are in the Lord's hands. Psalm 75 picks up on this idea. I think it's, is it the one I've got on the screen? Yes, there we go. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. Psalmist there saying, uh, it's not up to us whether to exalt ourselves, to make our plans succeed or fail. It is all in the Lord's hands. He brings one down and exalts another. All our successes are therefore entirely down to the Lord's purposes and plans. Whether you get this job or that job, whether you get the promotion, whether you get fired, whether you get the grades you want, whether your children get into the school or university that they want, it's all entirely in the Lord's hands. He is the one who exalts. And he is the one who brings down. Which gets rid of arrogance, doesn't it? We can't decide our own exaltation. We can't make our lives a success. But we can look to the Lord and depend on him. It's true for business, true for family, for marriage, for singleness, for where we will live. It's true for church life too. We can have grand plans as a church. To double in size maybe by the end of the year. Ten church plants by 2030, they may be great plans, they may be very good plans. Maybe we should have those kind of plans, but they are all dependent on the Lord. 
Ultimately, whether they happen or not is down to him. It turns out God is the master of our fate. We depend on God for whether we live or not, for what happens in this life. And we depend on the Lord for life beyond death as well, don't we? The gospel assures us that for the Christian, while there is much in this life that we don't know, there is a future that is absolutely certain. It is certain that those who humble themselves before the Lord, those who do what James has said in verse 10, 4 verse 10, just cast your eyes back, where he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That is a certain future for those who will humble themselves before God if we bring to him our sin and our wrongdoing, if we confess that to him, if we humble ourselves before his lordship, bowing before him, he washes us clean through the blood of Jesus and gives us a totally sure, solid, secure, glorious future beyond this life. Not because we worked for it, not because we believed in ourselves, but because of Jesus' work on the cross. It is a gift of grace and mercy. So we depend on God for life, for what happens in this life, and particularly for life beyond this life. So there are the three truths. You do not know, you're frail, and you're dependent on the Lord. Ultimately, they're humbling, aren't they? The accusation was one of being boastful and arrogant. That's in verse 16. Uh, And yet again, James says the answer is to humble ourselves before the Lord. It's a common theme running through the book. And this applies to Christians. Christian, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Maybe you're not someone who would say you're a Christian. Do you see that actually you are not as in control of your life as you like to think? None of us are. The Bible tells us actually we're all dependent on God. And it is wise to humble ourselves and recognize that dependence. And it is foolish and arrogant to live as if we were in charge of our lives. Will you humble yourself before God? Well, I said there was a surprising application at the end of the passage. I think it is a surprising application. We've had the three truths. Here's the surprising application. Verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, I say that's surprising because I've struggled over the last week to work out how that links to what's just gone before. Maybe you do too. He says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And he clearly is linking it to what's gone before. The word then or therefore um, links it to what's gone before. He says, this is the, the outflow of that. Now, in what sense? How does that follow on? Some have said, and it may well be right, that it is simply just to put into practice what he has just been saying. In other words, put into practice this attitude of saying, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. There you go. There is the good you ought to do. Go and do it. If you don't, then that is sin. And that may well be right. That may be be all that it is. 
But I wonder whether, uh, and I think there is good reason to think, actually it might be a little bit more than that, that he's connecting it a little bit more into the, the argument that follows. After all, that way of thinking, any Bible writer could put the same thing after any command that they put. They could say, you know, do this, and by the way, if you don't do the good you know you ought to do, then you're sinning, and that can apply to any command that they give. I wonder whether this ties in a, just that little bit more to what's gone before. Uh, by James saying, let's just change our focus a bit, rather than these grand plans that we might have, which can be overwhelming. They can take over our lives, can't they? Our grand plans for career or whatever it might be, they can take over such that we spend all our time on them. Uh, every hour of the, the week at work or working hard on those plans. And I wonder whether James is actually just saying, look, actually you don't know about those things. You're a mist, you're dependent on the Lord, but make sure that you are doing right now the good that you ought to do. What's the good you should do today? Sometimes those plans take over so much we don't see the good that we should do. We don't have time, maybe, for family that we, we should have, or the time for, doing, uh, for serving those in need. And sometimes the good we ought to do is not glamorous, and it won't go towards the success of our grand plans, but it is what we are to do today. And I wonder whether that's maybe how that fits. I'll leave that to you to think about, maybe talk about that afterwards how that fits and maybe not just how it fits but what the good is that you should do now so we must do the good we ought to do that's a good ambition maybe a surprising application but that's where he ends so James in this passage has confronted us with an attitude that is incredibly common amongst Christians that attitude of I'm the master of my fate and he has brought home three truths you do not know you're a mist and you are dependent. And he gives us that application to do the good we should do. Well, I'm just going to give us a moment. Would you just take a moment? Don't worry if the children make a bit of a noise. That's absolutely fine. But just take a moment. And would you just think, what do you need to change? Maybe in your attitude, maybe in your actions. What do you need to change? Let's not just rush off from this too quickly. Take a moment. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we confess to you that this attitude can be ours, that today or tomorrow we'll go here or there and do this or that, and we'll make a success of it. Father, too often we are arrogant in that way. And we are confronted by your word, Father, recognizing that we are limited, we are finite, we do not know, that we are a mist. And that we are entirely dependent on you. So help us to be humble before you. And Father, we pray you would lift us up. Lift us up through forgiveness. Through the forgiveness that we can have through Christ. And change our attitudes. Change the way we think, the way we live. And help us, Father, to do the good that you have in store for us today. Amen.